subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for conversations with veterinarians, oncologists, rehab therapists, and other experts discussing amputation for dogs and cats. Find more info, helpful care tips, and a free gift at tripods.com slash radio. Thank you for tuning in to Tripod Talk Radio, where we're spreading the word that it's better to hop on three legs than limp on four. Hosted by Jim and Renee and Wyatt Ray of the Tripod's blogs community at tripods.com, Jerry's place for canine amputees and their people. Hello, and thank you for listening. This is Tripod Talk Radio, and today is Sunday, May 3rd, 2015. Please join us in our live chat room at tripods.com slash chat with your questions, or get ready to call 646-716-5450. Because today, we are going to have a fun conversation about a serious subject, one that our guest knows all too well. We're honored to have Dr. Sarah Boston with us today. Dr. Boston is an associate professor of surgical oncology at the University of Florida's College of Veterinary Medicine, and she is author of Lucky Dog, How Being a Veterinarian Saved My Life. We'll ask her about that subtitle and how it relates to her own cancer journey, which she documents throughout this funny and unforgettable book. Read our full review at amazon.tripod.com, and please welcome Dr. Sarah Boston to the show. Thank you for joining us, Doctor. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Hey, Dr. Boston, this is Renee here. I am so excited to meet you on the phone. I am a big fan of yours. Thanks so much for doing the show today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here with the tripods. Yeah, well, um, you know, I... For those of you out there listening, if you haven't read Lucky Dog, go get yourself a copy. I mean, this book, I could not stop laughing when I was reading your book. I mean, it's so good, and it's serious, and it's funny, and it's it's incredibly, you know, it, just, it's, it really struck a chord so many different times because having gone through cancer with my own dog and, and you know, having a community here that is going through it every single day, it's... Um, Wow, it's like a must-reading for the Tripods community. So everybody, go get your copy of Lucky Dog. And, yeah, thank um, you. And thanks for that, highlighting that it's fun because I think a lot of people, it's about cancer and it's about dogs with cancer. It's about my own cancer. And then I always have to say yeah. to people, but it's really funny because, <laughs> because I think it is. But I think sometimes when you're going through that, either yourself or, you know, with your, your animal, you have to sort of just find the joy or find the humor just like our just like our dogs do. Yeah, exactly. That's I mean, you you write about living in the now, and that is one of the number one topics in the community that we talk about a lot when you're trying to deal with with the diagnosis and and everything. Is you know, watch your watch how your dog reacts. I mean, they got their perfect role models. Um, so so tell us tell us a little bit um, for those who haven't read it. Um, tell us a little bit about about your experience. You were you diagnosed your own cancer and basically I mean um, you were up in Canada and can you just um, tell us real uh, briefly about how that all unfolded of course yeah I was I was living in Canada at the time and I was working at the University of Guelph uh, which is near Toronto um, but I was doing a locum in Calgary and um, 
I was just getting ready for bed and I was putting cream on my neck and I just, I found a mass in my neck and I, I really instantly knew that it was a thyroid mass just because I've treated thyroid carcinoma in hundreds of dogs. Um, I knew that it, I knew that it wasn't there before because I always put cream on my neck every night because I don't want to get wrinkled. And I, I kind of <laughs> just decided that I need to go home. I was like, I need to go now to see a doctor. So I left, I went back to Guelph and I went to see the doctor and I just assumed it was going to be the way it was for my patients. So I assumed I would go in, they would ultrasound me, and I'd probably get in surgery within a week. And everything just ground to a halt, even though I was on fire to get this dealt with. Um, and it was very shocking to me that things moved so slowly for, for me in the human healthcare system. But I knew for my own patients that I could do things so much faster. You know, after after reading your book, I I, I used to think that I, I I wished that the U.S. had a healthcare system like Canada's. And then I read your book, and I'm like, whoa, you don't want that kind of healthcare here because it sounded brutal. All the waiting that you had to do to to finally get all the tests that you needed. Um, tell us about how the the human healthcare system um, in Canada and here um, compares to animal healthcare. Um, how was the the treatment that you received? during your, your own cancer fight, um, how did it shape your approach towards how you deal with, with animal patients um, you know, during, during your, own, your own cancer treatments and then afterwards and now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny because people, I live in the States now, and, and um, a lot of Americans react that way. They think, oh, you know, the Canadian system, it sounds terrible, and I think it's flawed. I also think the American system is deeply flawed. Um, and I, I do think that both of those systems could learn from each other and probably learn from veterinarians because I think we have more compassion um, in the way we care for our patients. I think we have more efficiency because we have to, um, because we're, uh-huh. we're private, essentially. I mean, there's, there's veterinary schools that are, have hospitals, but they're still run like a private practice. Um, and so, you know, the, the book is not really saying one system's horrible and this one's wonderful, but it's really saying, like, there's problems deep problems in both systems and they need to be evaluated and you know we have a parallel system within veterinary medicine um, that people could look at and sort of say what are we doing right and I do think uh-huh. you know I'm very proud to be a veterinarian and I think we have a lot more compassion in our healthcare system compared to the human healthcare system and some of the things I experienced. I, I would definitely agree with that I, I remember when we first took Jerry uh, to uh, University of California at Davis to get his osteosarcoma diagnosis. And I was so impressed with the facility there, and I thought, wow, you know, my, my dog is getting better care than me. I mean, on so many levels, you know, just the kind of, of compassion and attention that he got. Um, and the same thing has happened with, with our current dog, Wyatt. I, it's incredible, the, the difference between the two. Um, so I, I really appreciate how vets like you are out there and, and really making a difference. Um, I hope that our, our medical doctors, our human medical doctors, will, will start to learn from you. Um, so you, you have the ability, this is a, a funny part in the book, um, you had your husband bring home an ultrasound machine when you were trying to figure out what that lump was. And um, your husband's a, a large animal vet, correct? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so, yeah, so, um, so, so, yeah, I, so I wanted to get an ultrasound with a radiologist, but I couldn't get one for a week and a half, and I had to call around to all these different places, and they said, oh, it's not an emergency, but I felt like it was an emergency. Mm-hmm. Um, and where my husband worked, they had just bought a new ultrasound machine, which I always feel like I have to mention because the large animal <laughs> um, ultrasound usually goes in a cow's rectum, so <laughs> it had not been there yet. <laughs> it was brand new, um, and so I just – 
you know, I asked him to bring it home because I really just wanted to see what was going on. The mass was growing quickly. So by the time I got home, within a few days, it it was growing, that I could see it growing in the mirror. And um, I just wanted to look and see if it was fluid-filled. You know, we're scientists, we're curious. So I just wanted to look, and I thought, well, if it's a cyst, it's probably going to be benign, and I can diagnose that myself. And so I looked with the ultrasound machine, but you know, what I saw, I was pretty certain that it was a thyroid carcinoma. Um, and I'd already been to my doctor once. Um, and so I, I collected all the images on a USB port and I, I went in, I didn't even have an appointment. I just went in the next morning and I just said, I need to talk to my doctor. And I, I think he thought it was crazy, but I didn't care at that point. I was like, I need, I need some help. <laughs> so yeah, I did ultrasound my own neck, um, which, you know, a lot of veterinarians do things like that. You know, it sounds really crazy, but I guess we're a crazy profession. But um, I, I did that, and I knew I knew what it was. You know, I looked at it, and I knew that that was going to be a thyroid carcinoma. Wow. Oh, man. I, I, I can't even imagine having that kind of knowledge and, and knowing what was on that, that USB drive. That's, that's crazy. Um, I, I just want to say that I'm really glad. You're, I mean, you're fine now, right, and your cancer is, is – is cured. I mean, I know you guys don't like to use that word, but um, is that the case? You're completely in remission? Yeah, I'm definitely completely in remission, and um, the thyroid cancer community does not like this term that gets brought up. People always say thyroid cancer is good cancer, and, you know, I don't think any cancer is really good, but definitely have an extremely high chance of being cured um, in my lifetime. Uh Um, You know, my only complaint is not having a thyroid gland. Sometimes that that can be a problem sometimes, but overall, I'm doing great. Yeah, things are wonderful. Oh, God, that's great to hear. Yeah, we, we say that a lot about different types of cancers within the tripods community, like, oh, your vet thinks it's a soft tissue? Well, gosh, that's so much better than osteosarcoma. You're so lucky. I mean, it's kind of a, a bizarre way of looking at things when you start dealing with cancer. Um, but speaking of, of how our community deals with it, you know, we, we always joke about how we want to buy x-ray machines to, to keep it home so that we can know right then and there if our if our pet's cancer has metastasized if we're if we're dealing with that type of of cancer diagnosis, and obviously we can't all have a home X-ray machine, and a lot of us just won't run to the vet every time our animal sneezes or something. Um, so, what are your recommendations for for dealing with that kind of worry? I mean, you you dealt with it with your own cancer, and and you see pet parents dealing with it. How do we deal with a constant worry when we're living with with cancer and especially one that can metastasize at any time? That's a great question. I mean, I think the big thing is to watch your dog and how your dog is dealing with it because that's probably the best way to deal with it. And and we should we should deal with that for our own diseases as well. You know, just what you said, living in the moment, you know, are they happy? Are they having a good quality of life? Um, but I think the second thing would be to ask yourself, what am I going to do with the information? So there are treatment options for dogs with metastatic disease. Um, we're just working on something at UF um, called microwave ablation, which is a way that you can, um, we have a, a CT unit, um, which is called a fluoro CT, where we can actually put a needle in from the outside of the chest into a metastatic lesion and essentially burn that lesion. And so it's it's wonderful Whoa. because it's not aggressive. It's not, you know, you don't have to do any surgery, um, but if there's only a couple of lesions there, we can go and take them out. Um, so, you know, would you do that? If, if the answer is yes, then you probably should be on a regular monitoring program. Would you change up your 
chemotherapy protocol to try another chemotherapy protocol if your dog's metastatic lesions were progressing? If the answer is yes, I would, then you should stay on a program. And, and usually we do x-rays of the chest every three months. That's, that tends to be what we recommend. It depends on the cancer. Um, but I have uh-huh. clients who say, I'm not going to do anything about it. I just want my dog to have a good life. I don't want to come in here. Every time they come in here, they have to get sedated for their x-rays. And if that's the case, for your, you know, for your dog, then I would say maybe don't do them every three months. You know, it, it really depends. Every time we do a diagnostic test, whether it's an x-ray or blood work, um, you know, it, it involves some degree of stress to the patient. It costs money. You've got to get in there to the vet. You know, what are you going to do with the information, I think, is really an important question to ask as well. That's a really great way of looking at it. Um, can you tell me one more time what that procedure is called? I would love to find out more information about it. Yeah, yeah, it's, and it's, it's called microwave ablation. Um, and so they, they, you know, it's something that um, they, they are doing fairly commonly in people with metastatic cancers. Mm-hmm. And um, we just are starting at U.S. We're just starting to do that at U.S. So that would, totally off topic here, but that would replace the something like a, a lung lobectomy? Yeah, yeah. And we can oh, do that too. Wow. And we can also, we can also, so if you had, you know, three nodules in there, you could do lung lobectomy, but, um, you know, it's more morbidity for a patient that we think maybe isn't going to live for that long. And so what we'd like to do is try to make it a minimally invasive procedure where they have to be under general anesthetic uh, because they're in a CT unit and we're, we're putting a needle in, although a person would probably just be heavily sedated because it's not painful. Um, mm-hmm. And then we can basically get the needle into the lesion, then we confirm that on the CT, and then we go ahead and essentially use microwave technology to ablate that nodule. Um, in people, it's very low risk. There's some risk of uh, something called a pneumothorax, which is air leaking into the chest, um, but mm. it's considered to be pretty low risk as far as that goes. That is so cool. Is U.S. the only uh, institution that's doing it right now for dogs? That I know of. I, I, I don't know that for sure, but that I know of. Yeah, it's pretty new. Okay. And we're lucky because we're connected to the human hospital. Um, and I have a wonderful colleague. I have a lot of wonderful colleagues, but one in particular, he's a human interventional radiologist who I call him a closet veterinarian because he loves coming over to the vet college <laughs> to help us uh, with uh, some of our minimally invasive procedures that we're doing for cancer. Um, and so he will come over to help us to make sure that we get things on the right track with our program. That That is really exciting. We're going to be writing about that in our blog for sure. A lot of people will be interested. Cool. Um, and, and, you know, speaking of, of treatment options like this, um, you know, people have a right to know all of their options when it comes to treating their pet's cancer, uh, you know, even if a vet thinks that they might not be able to afford it and, and so they don't want to tell them about something like this. Um, they assume that they just wouldn't do it, and, and we've seen that happen. Um, what do you say to people who want to do procedures like this, people who want to do everything for their animals who have cancer, but they've communicated to you that, that the cost will be a burden? Um, how, do, how do you deal with that kind of situation? Yeah, I mean, that's probably one of the biggest veterinarian or biggest challenge that all veterinarians face. So it doesn't even matter what type of medicine you're practicing as a veterinarian. It's just really hard um, when people don't have the finances to do what they want to do for their for their pet. Um, I'm a huge advocate of pet insurance, um, but, you know, of course, that's too late at the time when they're having the illness. And a lot of people who've gone through that with a previous pet realize the cost of veterinary medicine. And then for the, for the next pet they get, they will get uh-huh. pet insurance. Um, I have pet insurance, which people are surprised by that. But 
I have pet insurance. If I have pet insurance, everyone else should have pet insurance, you know, because it, these things cost money. And even for me, I do things myself and my pets, it still costs a lot of money. The, you know, the equipment costs money. Um, all the care that we give to our pets, it costs a lot of money. And it, it, that's just the reality of veterinary medicine. There are some pretty wonderful organizations out there, which I don't know if you know about in your community, but you can apply for help. It's people who've donated money to help other people treat their pets for cancer. So there are some resources like that out there to help people um, if they're, you know, trying to to treat their dogs that they don't have the financial means. Um, but mm-hmm. I also think some people do have to sort of, you know, unfortunately accept the reality that, okay, this is, you know, this is this is what I can do. And as veterinarians, we always try to give people the, all the options and we try to work within their budget and sort of say, you know, in a perfect world we do a CT and we do all these things, but if someone can't do that, then we'll try to create a program and a treatment plan for their pet that's going to work for them. Wow, that I love I love hearing that because so many people just feel so lost when when they're they're dealing with with pet cancer, and uh, I I know that it's it's completely overwhelming. Um, so so any kind of guidance that that a professional like you provides is just awesome, and I just want to say yeah, pet insurance, everybody, you need it. Um, <laughs> if you, <laughs> I mean, we one of the reasons we didn't do chemo with with Jerry was. I mean, the price, it, we just could not do it. And now that we have Wyatt, we absolutely have pet insurance on him, and it has saved our butts so many times. And I always Good. joke that, my yeah, and I say, you know, my, my dog has better health insurance than I do. <laughs> I've heard people say that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so... um you know, and, and now that there's all these, these options and, and you get them presented to you, and, and like, for example, like I was saying that, you know, Jerry had um, lung metastasis from, from osteosarcoma, and and we declined to do a, a lobectomy because, you know, he wasn't expected to live that much longer, and it just seemed like a huge surgery for him. Um, and he died several months later, and it, it took me a long time to to stop wondering, you know, what if we had done the procedure? Would he still be here? Would he still be having a good life? Um, how do you guide people into making treatment decisions that they can live with? Um, what do you say if things go wrong or they don't work? Um, you know, it's it's just it seems like it's so random the way the way oncology works on on cancers. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I tend to think of it as almost risk management when I'm talking to my clients. So I feel like my job, you know, taking money aside and, you know, everything aside, my opinion about what they should do aside as well, I try to just outline, you know, these are the options. And in my mind, the only thing that's not an option is that that patient's having a poor quality of life. Everything else is on the table, including euthanasia. Everything's on the table. And I want to go through all of the options with them and discuss, you know, I, you know what the gold standard is, but also everything that we can do, and then also the risks that are associated with that. Now, I'm a surgeon, so every time you take a patient into the OR, there are some risks that are associated with that. Um, I'm really lucky where I work. I think we minimize those risks because it's a wonderful team, and we're usually very prepared for any risks that we know we could encounter, but they're definitely there. Um, I tend to think there's two types of clients that I see. So there's some clients that feel that they need to do everything, and they accept the risks because they just need to feel like they tried everything. And if they lose trying, that's, that's going to be more peaceful for them than not trying. And then I also have the other side, the clients who would say, I should have never done the surgery if something went wrong, or they'll feel very guilty 
that they did do something, if it didn't go perfectly, mm-hmm. um, those are probably not the best clients to do a big radical surgery because they can't handle the consequences of it. And so I think I can't tell people what type of person they are. I think people just need to sort of figure out, you know, based on their life experiences, what sits better with them. You know, you know, hopefully we try everything and we win, but if you, could you live with trying everything and possibly losing, or would you just accept, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the quality of life I have right now knowing it's going to be a shorter time because I can't handle the potential that there could, that something could go wrong. That's but, great uh, you know, advice. A lot of the time if we're, thank you. Yeah, when we're dealing with cancer, we often know what's going to happen if we do nothing, you know, um, which is fine. I mean, I think if people decide for whatever reason it is, it's not always finances. Sometimes it's just their personal opinions of, what what they think their dog could handle. It could be that dog's personality. Um, I think it's fine to do nothing, but I try to explain, you know, this is the disease process. This is what you can expect. Um, uh-huh. Doing nothing when you have a painful bone tumor, I mean, that you guys know that. That's, that's sometimes not the best decision, and sometimes, you know, it, it takes me 45 minutes to do a limb amputation, and those dogs are, I always say they wake up smiling. They're, they're so much more comfortable after having their limb off uh, compared to how they were preoperatively because we can't treat bone cancer pain effectively post-operative pain is easy to treat. You know, we're very good at that now. Um, so, but otherwise, I think people just need to, you know, really think about the pet and their own philosophy and then their finances and try to come up with the best decision for their family. Great advice. And every situation is different. I mean, what what's right for one person isn't necessarily right for the next or the next pet. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious, this, as you were explaining all of this, did when you were dealing with with your own cancer, did do, your doctors take this much time to to work with you and and present <laughs> options and absolutely <laughs> not that experience? Yeah, and I mean that was very shocking to me as well because I mean the the moment that comes to my mind the best I guess, but you know it was all through it that I I didn't get information about Thyroid Cancer Canada, which is a wonderful organization, and they have wonderful information, but it took me a while to find it. And I'm a doctor. You know, it took me a while, like, trolling on the Internet to find this organization and find this information. I thought, why couldn't my doctor have just told me the website? You know, it would have been so easy to Uh say, hey, you know, check these guys out, and they'll send you information, or maybe had their information on hand so that I could read it. Um, Because it's scary when you go on the Internet, you know, the things you find, you know, I sort of know how to filter through it, but there's a lot of scary things out there and and not good information out there. Um, So, but yeah, the best example I have is I was discharged. I had a half of my thyroid removed and then I had to have the other half removed. And I was actually had a low calcium as a consequence of that surgery, which happens sometimes, but they were sending me home with a potentially low calcium and I had no discharge instructions. I had nothing. The nurse gave me a tiny strip of paper that said phone your doctor on Monday. And I was discharged. And I thought, I mean, I know what could happen if I go really hypocalcemic. You know, you could even have a seizure. But they don't even know that because they didn't know that I was a veterinarian and that I was a surgical oncologist. And they just sent me home. And I, I think of the hours that we spend, I mean, it's worth it. But we type pages and pages of information to give to people to read and we spend an hour at discharge explaining everything and that none of that happened. Mm-hmm. None of that happened for me. Um it was and it, there was no doctor discharging me either. It was just a nurse that sort of said, Yeah, you're cleared, you know, basically you can leave now. So um which I wasn't that sad about actually because I didn't have very good experience the second time I was in the hospital. But um but yeah, that's very that all was very shocking to me going through this as a patient and, and I, that's what inspired me to write the book because it was just so different and, and what I expected and what I got were completely different. Wow. 
I, I can't imagine being being sent home like that. I mean, without any instructions, that's crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, we um, and we get we get quite a few members whose whose vets do send them home without any real instructions, and and that's really kind of shocking, um, especially when you're talking about amputation. It's like wow. Um, and, and, you know, we like to say in our community that the cancer and amputation is, is the education you never wanted. This, it's a club nobody wants to join. But once you go <laughs> through it, you tend to know a lot. I mean, you tend to, like you said, you Google things and you, you scare the heck out of yourself. And, um, and you get all this knowledge. And then how, how can we use that knowledge when we're dealing with, with cancer to, to be good advocates without annoying or, or irritating. A lot of people are, are really paranoid about irritating their vets with, with so many questions or something that they read online. Um, how, what's your advice for dealing with that kind of scenario? That's a great question as well. And, you know, one of the themes that I have in my book is, is to be an advocate, and some of that means that you're asking questions and you're pushing a little bit. And there is a balance, but I think it's really important that the family veterinarian you work with is someone that you feel confident enough that you can say, hey, I want to go to a specialist, and that you shouldn't feel fearful of that. So I've had friends calling me that live in different places in the country calling and saying that, you know, they, their cat is sick, and, and, you know, the things they're telling me, clearly that pet needs to go to a specialist center, but they're afraid to ask for a referral because they're afraid they're going to offend their veterinarian. And you can't have that relationship with your family veterinarian. You know, you need to work with a veterinarian who would, facilitate that with pleasure you know you need to be able to say hey I, I think I want my cat to go to a specialist and they need to turn around and write you a referral and set that up for you that's really their job and if you don't have a veterinarian where you feel comfortable enough to do that then you probably need to consider maybe another veterinarian um, you know someone that you would be comfortable asking for that and that's really really important you've got to have a close relationship with your family vet that you could say that and people are afraid of that in the human system too you know we're sort of taught to listen to the doctor and be quiet and not ask mm-hmm. questions. Um, I think, you know, it's important to ask questions and make sure you understand everything. So, I, you know, I also think it's important to, when you go to a specialist, let the specialist sort of explain things first because they might answer a lot of your questions and then you can kind of go back and you've got things written down and you can say, okay, I've still got these questions, you know, left. And, again, I think you need to be careful when you're pulling stuff off the Internet because, there's uh-huh. a lot of things, you know, people people bring me the cure every week. <laughs> oh, and I wish it was true, but I think, well, you know, and people are just looking for hope and people do this for their children and their themselves and their furry children and they just try to find something because it feels so hopeless yeah. sometimes that, you know, you, you're looking for anything. But I think when you make it to, a you know, an oncology specialist, you better kind of hopefully you have a good rapport with them and trust that they're going to have all the current information about what's the best treatment for your pet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I yeah, finding finding the cures. Hemp oil, hemp oil. We get that spam a lot in our forums. Um, <laughs> hemp oil is going <laughs> to cure cancer. Um, but there's a great book out there. I want to let people know about. It's called Speaking for Spot. It's written by the veterinarian Dr. Nancy Kay, and um, it it is step by step how to advocate, how to do your research, and how to go see a specialist like Dr. Boston and ask the questions that you need to ask to feel good about whatever treatment you pursue. Um, and, and I just, I love that book. So um, anyhow, speaking of your book, um, there, there's a, 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 great, a great quote in there. Um, and and I, there's so many good passages in your book that I underline, but um, 
one of them is, is this quote, and it's very serious, and it's sometimes just the word cancer and not the disease itself is enough to bring the dog's life to an end, even if it is a suggestion and not a firm diagnosis. And when I read that, I thought, wow, our community goes through that so many times. They, they go through that with their vet who thinks that, well, the dog's got osteosarcoma. Forget it. It's, it's over. Um, you know, what, what do you do about, about a, a vet who, who writes off your dog like that? Um, why, I, you know, I don't understand why they do it. Why can't they just send somebody, send their client to a specialist? If there's still a lot of vets out there who hesitate, and I know you can't speak on their behalf, but do you think it's changing? Do you think more are willing to, to send them to specialists like you? I do think it's changing. Surgical oncology is kind of exploding right now as a subspecialty. It's really exciting to be a part of that. Um, and so as there's more, you know, surgical oncologists working in vet schools and teaching vet students, there's going to be more vets who've been exposed to that. But, you know, I really think there's nothing wrong with asking for another opinion. If you go to four veterinarians or, you know, hopefully some of them are specialists and everyone's telling you this is not a good case, that's probably true. Mm-hmm. But there is always an option. You know, there's always treatment options that we can offer. But you're not going to find those in a, in a general practice. You know, if your dog has a serious cancer, you need to go to a specialist. So, you know, mm-hmm. listen to their advice. They know your pet well. So listen to that advice, but understand that, you know, I've seen, I don't even know how many hundreds of cases of osteosarcoma. And so my experience with that disease is very different than a general practitioner who sees maybe two cases a year. And it's not a knock on them because they have the hardest job in the world. My job's very easy. I did three years of general practice, and it's a very difficult job. But they don't necessarily have mm-hmm. a pulse on every single disease. And so you've got to sort of say, well, I'm going to I'm going to listen to their experience as my family veterinarian, and then I'm going to I'm going to go seek second opinion with with a specialist. So um, I think it just really has to do with your own experiences. So some of the surgeries I do, general surgeons won't do. So board certified surgeons won't do them, but I will do them as a cancer surgeon. And so it, everyone's kind of got their own experiences that shapes what they recommend. But I think if you want more advanced care for your pet, you've just got to push a little bit to get a referral to a surgical oncologist or a surgeon or a medical oncologist to, to get all the options on the table. I love it. I love it. Thank you for that. Um, I think we're, we're just about ready to wrap up our show. Dr. Boston, thank you so much. It's, I, I've had so much fun today, and I, I just love your work, and I hope you do write another book sometime soon. Thank you. I'm going to try. <laughs> the day job's a little different than the way, but I'm going to try to carve out some time because I would love to write. It was a really fun experience uh, writing a book, and I, I'm hoping to write another one soon. All righty. Well, thank you so much. Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Boston. It's been an honor sharing your incredible story and your book. Listeners can read our review of Lucky Dog at Amazon.tripods.com. And find all Tripod Talk Radio podcasts and lots of helpful ebooks and videos at downloads.tripods.com. Until next time, join the discussion about pet cancer and amputation for cats and dogs, or share your own story at tripods.com. Until next time on Tripod Talk Radio, learn more about canine amputation recovery and find the best gear for three-legged dogs at tripods.com.
Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for more pet amputation tips from experts. And claim your free gift just for listeners at downloads.tripods.com slash podcast.